and Lyle, I'd love you to come and share. How did you focus in and pick your segment and what were the challenges along the way? Welcome. Sure. Thanks, Michael. All right, good afternoon, everyone, or good evening at this point. Um, my name is Lyle Stevens, co-founder and CEO of Splashcore, and we are an influencer activation engine for consumer brands, uh, but we have a very large B2C component. Uh, we're a two-sided marketplace, uh, which makes your go-to market strategy very complicated. You have to pick one or the other. And so I'm going to take you through our journey and how we decided and where we are today. And I'm going to do this using startup vitamin lessons. I don't know if you guys are familiar with startup vitamins, but you will be after this. Um, so we, we identify and activate influential consumers, but we do that to provide brands, our end customer, um, with an army of advocates. So that's what we do. And in the beginning, we were inspired by this. So raise your hand if you know what this meme is. One person, two people. What's this meme? Um, it's just a troll. Yes, this is the internet troll meme. And I have two younger brothers, and at the time, one was in middle school and high school, and they were competing to see who was the better troll in their high school. And I came home for Thanksgiving, and they were arguing who the better troll was. And they were tracking in a spreadsheet, and I'm like, huh, as an engineer, why don't I build something cool to track this for you, which led to our epiphany. What if we could identify, not trolls, but influencers, as we called, called them, online? And so that brought us to our first startup vitamin, holy crap, we might have something here, let's just do it because there's a bigger risk in not doing it. So where do you start with an idea like that? Do we go after influencers? Do we go after brands? Do we just name our company? What do you guys think? Here are five places we could have started. Researching com competition, like clout, as I'm sure you all know. Uh, defining our product value prop, our features. Um, defining our customer. Uh, raise your hand if you do number one first. Research and competition. Two people. Uh, raise your hand if you would define your product first. Number two. A few more people. Um, number three, define your company name. Value, okay, one, one person. Uh, target customer, number four, if that's your first thing. Yeah, most people. Okay, and then how to reach your customer, your channels. Yeah, you can't do that without the customer first, right? Well, we didn't do that. We should have, and that's one of our big lessons. Uh, we decided to just pick our name and our value uh, as a company. And we made it very simple. We had an idea, so we took the word idea and epiphany, respelled it, and called ourselves Epiphia. Sweet, that's who we were. Um, and our vision was to become page rank for people. So you know Google has page rank for websites, well we want to be page rank for people. That was like our guiding vision from a product perspective. And we had three core values. Um, customer happiness, because we wanted to go after the influencer first or the individual consumer. Um, continuous improvement, because we knew we were going to have to improve on what we were building. And then consistent results. So it was just enough to get started. And where we decided to start was we wanted to be page rank for people. We needed an algorithm. We needed a really smart way to measure influence. And we tried to come up with this really cool analogy where we would measure your ripple on your uh, social media website and your pond, which was composed of your friends and your content, and the, the ratio between your ripple and your pond made your splash. And that's how we started branding ourselves, was based on our algorithm, which is pretty stupid um, in hindsight. Uh, we made it work eventually. Um, and we did make it more transparent. We were trying to make this more a, a better way to understand your influence online across any social network. So the lesson here is you need to begin somewhere. Begin anywhere, because you're going to learn as you go. Um, so now, now that we defined our company, our name, 
what would you do next? Well, we start with our product, as I, I led to. Um, so instead of sketching on a wall all the numbers that we were going to use to measure an influencer, we started building. So this is our first product feature wire, uh, wireframe. So we started naming features, and we thought what people would like to use within our product. We, use in, uh, we even uh, alluded to Apple here. We called it John, uh, Jenny Crab Apple here. So we really liked Apple. And we built an MVP. It was really an MVP. It was stupid basic. Um, so we could try and see if people would care about being influential. Um, we designed it to stay within Facebook, so that was our first channel, was going after Facebook as a Canvas application, because that's where people were spending most of their time. We didn't want to change their behavior. And that was something that actually worked out very well for us. Um, and what we realized is that getting something out there is better than making it perfect and flawless. So that was our next startup vitamin as we went on this journey. Um, from there, we decided, hey, we should probably pick a target customer to go release this to. Um, so I'm going to give you our four considerations. Um, ages 13 to 18, which was the original inspiration for this. Um, ages 10, or excuse me, 18 to 25, college students, much like yourselves. Um, ages 25 to 45, uh, more professional individuals, or 40 plus. So ages 13 to 18, who would go after that market first with this idea? Anybody? Nope, OK. Ages 18 to 25, raise your hand if you would go after the college market first. OK, good amount. Ages 25 to 40, anybody? Uh, a little bit less, okay. And then 40 plus. Few, okay. So we, college students, we, uh, most of our team were either in grad school or just recently out of school. Uh, it was an easy market for us to go after. We launched um, with college students at Northeastern of all places, because that's where we were from. Uh, we got about 1,000 people to sign up very quickly within a week. Like, oh, this is kind of cool. We started diving into our data and realized, wait a minute, these college students don't really talk much on social networks, they just passively observe. It was actually their mothers, their aunts, and their older sisters. They were extremely active on social networks. So guess what we did? We switched to women 25 to 40, and that became our minimal viable segment, our beachhead. We literally built a list on Twitter of Women who had the phrase S-A-H-M, stay-at-home mom, in their Twitter profile, built a list of 5,000 of them, tweeted at them, hey, Helen, wouldn't it be cool if you could get rewarded, we started changing a little bit what we were doing, for being good at Facebook. We got 1,000 people to sign up doing that, just brute force. And that became our first persona, Household Helen. And we kind of envisioned her as Helen Incredible um, from Disney, as you see here, because she is balancing a lot of stuff within the family. She's very cost-conscious. Um, she kind of runs the ship at the, at the family. Um, she's very powerful. We got her in, and she didn't really care about the score at all. She didn't really care, didn't know she was influential. Um, and she's like, what do I do with this? And we had a really big problem, and you actually quoted this from Steve Jobs. Uh, if a user is having a problem, we have a problem. And our users didn't like the score or didn't care about our score. So what do we do? Um, we actually started looking at what the competition was doing. And at the time, the biggest competitor was Clout. And they still kind of are, but they have their own issues. Um, so we decided we need to innovate or die, um, which is our next vitamin. And we looked at what Clout was doing. So Clout was trying to become the standard for influence. The credit score for influence has always been their mes messaging. But they were kind of like floating along with some traffic. And it wasn't until they did a partnership with Spotify, when Spotify launched in the United States, that they overnight became 
success or everyone knew who they were. And they kind of been f kind of the same ever since. But it was that was the aha moment for us. People don't care about being influential. They care about getting stuff for being influential. Cloud never really dove into that very deeply. We did. We became all about that. So we rebranded from the influencer or the consumer perspective to be make a splash on Facebook, score free rewards. So we took the name we already had and rebranded it. So we need to go get rewards. Who do we go after? Do we go after startups, small businesses, local brands, geo-local brands, regional brands, or large US brands? Raise your hand if you go after startups first. Okay, nobody. Uh, SMBs, who would go after SMBs first? Like pizza shops, coffee shops, that kind of thing. Very few, okay. Local, geo-local, more people, a lot of people, okay. Uh, and then large US brands. About half and half. So we wanted to go after US brands, large, national, global, 200 brands, but not the number one player, usually the number two and number three player who's trying to catch the number one player. And the reason was we could always go backwards to local brands, but once you start doing local brands and SMBs, you can never go the other way. The big guys don't take you seriously if you're working with local brands. And that was a, something we learned really early after talking to some very big agencies. So the next lesson is think bigger. You need to go bigger. Um, so from there, we decided, okay, we, we're going after large consumer brands in the number two or three spot uh, who are trying to catch. So it's like Reebok trying to catch Nike, as an example. Um, so we're going after brands like that. How do we get there? Well, you need to start thinking like them and talking to them. So we did a lot of interviews, tons. Um, we had a lot of friends working in agencies in the marketing world. We just sat down with as many people as we could. And we developed two personas, Marketing Molly and Agency Amy. Those are the two people we go after. Marketing Molly is typically a digital director within a large consumer brand um, who is trying to figure out new ways to reach consumers and get their messaging out in social media. Um, Facebook's their number one channel. And thankfully for us, Facebook just tweaked their uh, edge rank algorithm, so organic reach is now plummeting, making us even more um, of a need for Marketing Molly. Agency Amy works for Marketing Molly. Agency Amy only cares about looking good to Marketing Molly and doing things that are simple and easy. And we provide that for her. She cares about different things in Marketing Molly. Um, she's a little more of a digital native, um, a little more trendy. And when we were talking to them, we said, hey, we've got this pool of influencers we're starting to identify, and we can do that for you. We can identify your influencers. And I'm like, yeah, well, we can already do that. We really don't care about identifying influencers but we have no clue how to actually activate them to drive real value. We're like, huh, all right, so let's focus in on that. We started looking at all the other people out there. Everyone was either good at two things, identifying influencers like clout or activating people, but they probably weren't influential at all, um, which a lot of contest apps do. And so we tried to fit in that white space, as uh, Michael mentioned earlier, of identifying and activating influencers. We wanted to build an activation engine. So we rebranded around that. So we dropped Epiphia completely, uh, became just Splashcore. Uh, so that's who we go by. Um, we deliver brands, um, or we help brands deliver engaging content um, to individuals on social media who actually trust it. When your friend posts something and they're influential and you're already engaging with them and it's branded content, you trust it. You don't trust a display ad. 
Um, so our mission is to activate an army of influencers for these consumer brands. Um, through our influencer activation engine, that's our product focus. Everything's around activating influencers. And our value prop at the end of the day is 20 times more clicks, likes, and leads than you can get with any other social ad. So at the end of the day, the lesson here is start somewhere. You're going to learn. You're going to fail. We certainly did with a couple things. And you're going to repeat based on that. So that's it. Thank you very much for sharing that. Again, a very sure. real-world example. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Lyle is over at Northeastern, and it's great to have you here sort of sharing sort of another view of how these startups get built, because there's nobody who's got the right answers here. But I want to bring out some key points. Um, one of the things that you did that I see happen a lot in startups is you changed your brand. You changed your name, even. So um, what would you say to startups now? Would you say it's worth having a product brand and separately a company brand? Or would you say in general, it's better to have just one brand? Uh, for us, it's definitely having one brand. Uh, we tried doing Apifia as the brand for brands <laughs> and going that route and then having Splashcore as our product. And you're, you're building two brands simultaneously, which as a startup is n very hard, very expensive. <laughs> and I, all I will say is you've heard it here and I see it all the time. As a startup, you need to do a few things well, and trying to build two brands is really hard. So wherever you can, just a simple startup secret for you is pick one brand that can be both your company and your product. And if you think about most companies who've been successful, they're almost invariably exactly that. Now, when you get really big and you get to be Apple and you can have products that are iWatch, or hopefully, uh, or iSomething, you know, then maybe you can afford to do it and you get associated with that. But it's very hard for a startup to do that. So uh, second thing is, you mentioned something very important, which is you know, how you used uh, competitive analysis to figure out you know, what you might do. How important was that in your influence in the end of where you went? Uh, it was very important. So Clout had first mover, mover advantage in the influence marketing space yep. um, on us. And we were watching what they were doing very closely because they made some what I would call critical errors along yep. the path. Um, Becoming a credit score and just measuring everyone you can made a lot of people angry. Yep. Um, and so we knew we didn't want to become that. And when we saw the, all their traffic and their spikes around key partnerships with other companies, we knew that that's the answer. So they were kind of like our own testing beds. Like, oh, we didn't have to learn that lesson the hard way. Well, let's just watch them fail. And it worked. So uh, I think one of the great things about that, just to draw it out, is that often your competition has actually gone off and done a whole bunch of stuff that you don't have to pay for. So you might as well learn from that lesson. Exactly. Um, yep. Okay, next thing you talked about was obviously, what did you do to pick your target segment? And you bounced around a bit on that. Yep. Um, and you were nice enough to share honestly what you did and, and you ended up in a very different place. What would you do differently now and, and how would you apply this concept of minimum viable segment? So before even building an algorithm or a product or any feature, we just went and talked to who we thought our customer was going to be. We didn't do that at the beginning. We should have. We thought, oh, you know, we'll look at other products they're using, try something, put it out, and then see who uses it, as opposed to going and talking to them first. So that's lesson number one for us, is we should have done that. Um, we also focused only on the consumer first, where from an engineering perspective, we probably would have done that the same way. But we should have still talked to brands sooner than we did. Right. We waited too long to start talking to them and what they cared about. Um, and it made a big difference in terms of uh, where we put resources, how we built the product, how we positioned the product, all that kind of stuff. So, 
And you're also honest enough to share something that I see a lot in startups, which is that you've got two potential audiences. How did you pick one, and what was the importance of that? So, yeah, this was literally almost like flipping a coin for us, because we realized that, yeah, we needed rewards eventually to bring in more influencers, which is how we grow our business now. Um, so we need more brands to grow influencers. We also need enough relevant influencers to have enough brands, so you need both. Uh, we just thought we could finagle getting influencers first, and at the end of the day, even supplement or pay for our own rewards to keep them happy as we built critical mass so we could get a big brand. So, so if I said to you now, um, how would you pick the one who's got the greatest pain point and the greatest need where you could address it? Would that be a better guiding light for you to, to focus in on than flipping a coin? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so that's the takeaway startup secret. When you've gone into these situations where you've got a dual-sided value proposition, you've got two audiences, pick the one that's got the greatest pain point where you can meet a real need first because if you're doing that, you'll be able to pull the other side. And flipping a coin is one way, but I happen to Not think the other is probably a better way. <laughs> All right, great. Thank you very much. It was a really great, great story there.